The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for uh, episode 52 on January 29th. Alex, your favorite child is turning one this week. He is? Uh, oh, is it a he? <laughs> I, I've got only boys, so it seems pretty likely that it's a he. Well, I mean, you've got your boys, and then you've got the podcast. Oh, that <laughs> child. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's been a year, Rob. Can you believe it? Yeah, I, I can't believe it. We, it. It seems like only yesterday we had this silly idea to create a podcast. And it seems like maybe it wasn't quite so silly. It's been good yeah. for a year. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, what have you learned anything? Um, I've learned that um, I no longer have Sunday mornings. Oh yeah, that's a that's kind of a sad learning out, it, of, out it, of this. It is, um, but but a, a good one nonetheless. Yeah. How about you, Rob? Um, you know, we, we talked about it before, right? The the technology has been probably the hardest learning out of it. Trying to figure out how to get levels to say consistent throughout a whole podcast is not always easy. Um, but it's been great getting to to meet a whole bunch of different people in the community. You know, it's it's just I guess the biggest learning has been that we've we've have a much broader and um, more eclectic community in Colorado technology than I ever had known. And it is much much larger than I ever would have thought it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, we, there's lots lots more people in this community. I thought I knew a lot of people, but uh, I was not even close to knowing a lot of people. Yeah. Well, here's to uh, another successful year. Um, maybe, maybe oh, wait, 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 I thought we were done. We're doing this another year. <laughs> wasn't that, wasn't that the agreement, Rob? We'd do this for a year and then, and then, and then we, and then we decide we'd make a decision, right? Whether right. we're going to keep going. And so I'm just gonna do it on the air here right uh, now. you ready to keep going another year. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, okay. Right, let's, let's keep right. going. Let's right, keep we'll going. Do, we'll do one more. We'll okay. see how it goes after that. All right. Well, well, why don't we go ahead and jump into the news then? Sounds good. Uh, before we do that, uh, a reminder, everyone, please sign up for our mailing list. That way we can keep you updated when we do have new episodes and get your show notes. Uh, first story for the week, Denver is testing smart technology to ease the traffic uh, congestion in town. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that there's a pilot program that's going to be aimed at using technology to move folks around. It's going to ha- equip like freight trucks with um, technology that talks to the traffic signals and shows them how to move more efficiently through the system. Uh, it's also going to have a technology um, in the uh, vehicles that are like owned by the city to help communicate with infrastructure. So really just trying to make it more effic- effective as people are moving through the streets and, you know, less congestion at intersections. Hopefully uh, whatever, you know, grant money or whatever it was that they got to do this also included a head count for somebody on Steve Curry's team to look at the security of all this stuff too. Yeah. It seems incredibly likely that as soon as you implement this, somebody's going to figure out how to use, how to hack it and, Either number one, you know, on the on the worst side, right? You know, use it to cause problems and send cars into each other and right. whatever. On on the other side, maybe they use it to themselves kind of ride through some green lights and. Well, it's you know, they, there's always sort of that urban myth. You know, you could flash your lights a right. certain number of times at the stoplights, and it would change. You know, that was for the ambulances. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, so, I don't know if that was ever true, but I certainly heard the urban. Yeah, myth. And, and now you're going to be able to uh, you know bring out your your Bluetooth jammer and right. figure out how to change the, the lights and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
so our next story this week well, is actually just a follow-up from last week. So we talked about the National Cybersecurity Center, you know, that had used about eight million dollars on uh, on a building in the in Colorado Springs, and and uh, there was a, a little bit of outrage uh, on the show from. I, I can think of things yeah. you could do better with eight million dollars yeah. than rehab a building. But we did did hear from Andre McGregor, who is one of the board members for NCC, and, and talked about it just a little bit with him this week. Uh, he, he provided some great insight, which was that um, while that was a grant for NCC, it was a stipulation of the of the money that it had to be used for a facility. So they didn't have you know flexibility to go take you know seven point five of that eight million dollars to go use on building a program. It really had to go to a place where they were going to yeah. be. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Next, there was an announcement this week from Red Canary uh, that they have teamed up with CrowdStrike. So, so if, Red Canary is the local uh, managed endpoint detection and response company here. Um, they had previously only supported Carbon Black as their EDR platform, and they've added on uh, CrowdStrike as another option. Yeah, so if, uh, if you were somebody that was using CrowdStrike previously or for some reason you didn't like Carbon Black and wanted to have... CrowdStrike and said, now you can. Yeah, like maybe you've been using Carbon Black, but they continue to fail on your Apple laptops, and, and maybe that matters to you. Duh. Maybe you have to use something else. Or, yeah, I mean, theoretically, you could use a mix, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next, Optiv, they named a new executive. Uh, Simon Church has been named general manager and executive vice president for Europe. Yeah, so they're obviously trying to grow significantly outside of North America. They are the biggest security company here in North America. Uh, but as they're looking to to get out into EMEA, um, Europe, that this is an opportunity for them to do that. And, and it sounds like a pretty good thing. Um, Simon, I uh, just did a little bit of reading as we did this, has, has got a history in the in the industry and uh, hopefully can help build out their presence outside of North America. Yeah, good luck to them. Uh, next story is a, uh, a blog by Swimlane about how to use Swimlane and really just how to use Slack to do chat ops. So chat ops is this idea that rather than having a formal system that where you're going to get an alert that generates a ticket and maybe generates an email, um, there's an interactive, you know, if you haven't used Slack before, it's really an IRC or a chat room um, where you kind of have real-time notifications and, and people who are, who are on duty would be looking for those notifications and you can have your system, your, your swim lane or even your SIM, something else, alert you in that system to what's going on and get people to work on an alert immediately. Yeah, interesting new paradigm. Um, I'd also say if you haven't used Slack, then clearly you haven't joined the Colorado Equal Security Slack channel. So you should definitely go out and do that, and you can test your chat ops in there. I think it's kind of fun to give a little update each week. We're at like 250 members right now. It's crazy. It's right in that ballpark. Um, So really, obviously, it's been a a really needed place for folks to get together. And if you're not there yet, the link to join is in the show notes, and it's part of the email every week too. Also on the front page of the website, one more update. I started a new channel on Slack yesterday, Rob. Yeah. You know, a, a second Intel uh, channel for, or Threat Intel, excuse me, for folks to go and talk about new threats. Yeah, you, you uh, opened you know. it and immediately it became the most popular channel in the it, place. It did. Yeah. Although it was mostly, uh, you know, just a couple of folks talking to each other, but but still. <laughs> uh, moving forward with our next story, Route9B has hired a couple new executives. They have a new CFO and a new CRO, a chief revenue officer. Uh, revenue officers usually over sales and marketing. Yeah, and we were actually uh, really close to getting an interview with really nine with really with Route Nine B. Um, had them scheduled, and they had to to, to reschedule that. But um, perhaps when we do that, we can talk about these new executives they have. Uh, one of them 
joined from uh, Shriver Medical, which is a local company here. Um, and then uh, the other one... Uh, he's out. He's out of state. So out I, of I, state. I didn't put the company yes. he was from, but uh, but Mr. Bruckner is from uh, Scriber, which is where uh, uh, we we know Johan Hibernated worked as the CSO there before, previously. Uh, and then Route Nine B also had a blog post um, about some unique educational opportunities in Colorado. Um, I think the one that was most applicable to us was talking about. Uh, the University of Denver's cybersecurity program that they have there. Wait, so you're saying you don't want to talk about the uh, Arvada Center for Human Arts and Regis, who've combined it to work on a um, a kind of dancing, acting, and ceramics program? Well, you know, uh, music majors are great yeah. for cybersecurity. Absolutely. So that seems like something that's applicable to us. Yeah. And then, and then the other one was an outdoor, um, outdoor training for guides at CSU. So yeah. I mean, both of those things ones. are really cool. Yeah. But, but they're like not. Said, they're but, not cybersecurity. Is that what you're saying? The, the thing that's probably most applicable to us is uh, the the programs at at uh, DU, which is cool. Which is actually where I got my master's. So yeah, go pioneers. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and the the last little bit of news here is uh, just a, a congratulations to Ed Fuller. Ed's a, a friend of ours who um, just recently signed on as the uh, CISO and VP of Technology for local company Cloud Elements. Cloud Elements does a you know, kind of your AWS cloud monitoring, and I think you know it helps you save money and all that kind of stuff. You do like API integrations and other things like that too. Yeah. Um, so, congrats to Ed. We're looking forward to hearing what, what you're going to do there, and uh, see you at, at one of those CISO events one of these days. Yes. So let's move on to trivia. Uh, last week for episode 51, we had a um, I don't know want to say it's a, an impossible one. It was a little difficult. <laughs> a little difficult. Yeah. Um, maybe not exactly straightforward, but uh, the question was, if blank breaks, it interrupts a circuit, which causes the system controller to immediately stop the system. And, yeah. and Rob gave a, a hint that this was in relation to skiing. And and then we, we're, we're very fortunate. We have some friends who work for Vail Resorts who listen to the show. And one of our Vail Resorts friends, Ian Buxton, was able to get the correct answer, which is a brittle bar. A brittle bar is that, is that oh, wait, no, no, kill no, that, safe. That's one of those energy bars, right? I, I had one of those the other day. Oh no! Wait, no, it's something else. Sorry. Uh, so it's just one of control, one control of many on the ski lifts that'll that'll stop it if uh, if if it's broke. Try and keep passengers safe. Yep. Uh, so the trivia for this week, uh, we're back to another podcast uh, question here. So this is name the two other security podcasts that are created here in Colorado. It's it didn't it used to be uh, one other and then another podcast moved to Colorado. So there's, a, there's three of them out there, us included. So let us know what those are. Um, you can give them a listen. Let us know what you think. Uh, maybe rate the three podcasts when you send in your note, and you can guess which rating would be uh, would be the <laughs> correct answer. That's not a requirement, though. Just let us know what the other two podcasts are and, and send us a note. Send an email to info at colorado-security.com. Uh, and once again, thanks so much to Andre Gaeta, who was our sponsor for this and without without andre paying for this we we wouldn't have the trivia show and we look forward to all those correct answers uh upcoming events don't forget we do have a uh, a calendar of events on our website it's pretty well packed out all the way through march right now um so go out there and see what you want to be doing here over the next couple of months first up this week uh, secure set is doing one of their hacking 101 workshops this is intro to social engineering on the 30th that's the only thing this week. Interestingly enough, we, we have a lot of events that the week after, but this week is, is pretty pretty light. 
next week on the the 5th of February, we have the cybersecurity reception with the British government. So this is uh, an interesting idea. You can get to meet some of the folks coming over here from the UK and uh, they want to just talk about how the different countries are doing security. Um, also on the 5th, DENSEC is doing their South Meetup. Uh, on on the 6th, we have Women in Security doing their, their I guess, kind of every other month meeting. Um, following that, we have uh, CTA uh, doing their CTA 101 on the 7th. And on the 8th, uh, SecureSet is doing a Career Conversations with um, Elaine Marino. Also uh, on the 8th, CTA is doing SkillWorks, skills-based hiring and training. That sounds interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the end of our uh, of our events. And let's jump over to jobs. Um, we see we have a uh, IT security analyst focused on SOX compliant at Zackly. That's a, a great name for a company. Uh, Optiv is looking for a practice manager for uh, attack and penetration. So if you want to lead their attack and penetration practice, we have SC. SCL Health is hiring a security analyst one. Uh, NCAR, which is the National Center for Atmospheric Research up in Boulder, is looking for a, um, a student assistant three in their cybersecurity program office. Excel Energy is hiring an electric EMS SCADA programmer three job. Yeah, and this one is not um, directly security related. You're obviously going to have to do some SCADA programming, but there was lots of talk about security in that job post. Pretty Looking cool. pretty cool. And uh, there were lots of other Excel jobs that were out there directly related to security, too. Okay. It seems like Excel is hiring a lot. Uh, Visa is looking for a senior secu- or se- excuse me, senior software engineer in application security. That's pretty good. Uh, First Bank is hiring an information security senior analyst. Uh, QEP Resources, former company of mine, is looking for an IT security analyst. Pretty fun place to work. Yeah, great place to work. Right downtown, across the street from Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, Bank of America is hiring an information security engineer. Uh, and finally, GE is hiring an IT cybersecurity engineer. I believe this one was up in Longmont. Does GE have a pretty good presence here in Colorado? Yeah, th- this is a, uh, I forget, it was a company that they acquired hmm. um, up in Longmont. Um, but so yeah, they have a, a good amount of presence up there. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the end of the show. I think we're going to go off and have a, a full Sunday in front of us. I, I get to sit and watch... Uh, my youngest son play basketball all day, so that should be fun. Good stuff. Uh, our feature guest this week is Andre McGregor, who is the director of security for Tanium. He lives; he's a Denver native. Uh, he's also on the board of directors for NCC, and um, lots of fun stuff. He, he's got you're going to hear. He's got a lot of interesting stories to tell. Awesome. Sounds good. Look forward all to right. hearing it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks, Rob. This is Chris Abbey, IT security analyst at Douglas County School Districts. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. This is Rob Reck sitting with Andre McGregor. Um, Andre, I want to start off with a little different question today. What was the most interesting thing you saw in Europe when you were out there the last few weeks? Oh, okay. So I was originally supposed to be in Italy for the week, but then I looked at the weather on and realized it was raining all week, so I rerouted myself to south of France, in Nice. And I, I rented a car and was driving around and kind of zipping through the mountains, and I ended up in this market, and I'm walking, and I meet this old uh, artist. And we're talking. He's got some oil paintings out. 
and I'm learning his story and he's telling me about one of the, pe the pieces that I, I liked and giving me the story about it. He's saying how he's more of a drawer than a painter and I'm like, well, I really like it. And so long story short, uh, that painting is now home with me in Denver. Oh, awesome. uh, but he also was able to tell me where he painted it. So yeah. I, the, the next day I went up to the top of this mountain at, with the painting and yeah. was able to look and see the exact, you know, uh, uh, view that he had at yeah. when he was painting it, so it was pretty so, cool. So you have a photo of that view? I have view, a photo of that view as oh, well as next to the painting? <laughs> next to the painting, and it's, it's oh, pretty, it. pretty cool. So uh, I, I, you know, realize that I like local artists, and I like, you know, being able to support uh, that, that capability, because I don't have it, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just a great experience. So now everyone listening is super jealous. <laughs> We're all very jealous that, that, that you have uh, that you have done this. Well, they shouldn't be jealous because I said I gained three pounds on this trip, so uh, the food was fantastic. All right. Um, so, so Andre, you are the director of security, and you really run this internal security program for Tanium, right? That's correct. Um, and and uh, you know, a little bit of color for probably you as well, but definitely for the listeners. Uh, someone from Tanium reached out to me like six months ago and like, oh, we'd love to get someone on your show. And uh, you know, my general response to this is, hey, we're Colorado focused and while Tanium is a great company, they're not in Colorado, I'm not interested. So they replied back and said, well, we have we have our director of security in, in, in Denver and, and you know, he'd be a perfect guest for your show. And, you know, my immediate response was, oh, you're full of it. You know, it's, gonna, it's a sales guy. Uh, I'm, I'm not, no, no interest in it. You know, that's totally my, my immediate thought whenever someone says that. And yeah. so, but you and I've got to know each other over the last six months or so. And, and I can vouch for you and say you're, you're not a sales guy. <laughs> well, you know what it is? I, I, I think we're all salespeople at the end of the day. We're selling ourselves in some capacity, whether yeah. it's to our, our spouse or partner, yeah. <laughs> to, get, to get us to go to a, the, a movie or right. something, down to you know, uh, technology. Uh, I enjoy speaking passionately about problems that I see mm -hmm. and solutions that make sense. And so, you know, if, if I can do it over beers, great. Yeah. If I have to do it with a suit and tie, okay. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, it's, it's good to get you on the show and talk about some of the stuff you're doing. Um, well, let's start off, but you know, going back early in your, your life, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, I am from Denver proper. I am yeah. a Denver native, yeah. uh, born and raised. So my parents, Jamaican parents, somehow ended up in Colorado where it's cold. And yeah. I was I was born and uh, lived in Park Hill and mm -hmm. went to George Washington High School and, um, you know, love nature and love, it was in a youth group called uh, Environmental Learning for Kids, mm -hmm. where it took... Uh, underprivileged and non-traditional uh, students into the natural world, taught us about hiking, hunting, fishing, camping, uh, you know, wildlife management, things like that. And so I originally wanted to go to school for that. And I actually uh, had, you know, a full ride to uh, CSU. And I was going to do wildlife biology. And I was lucky enough to get a Daniels Fund scholarship. So Daniels Fund a uh, big organization that gives scholarships out every year, full rides, and uh, Bill Daniels was dying at the time, and he was looking to start this program and get some get an initial set of kids, and I was lucky to be selected, and they said you could go where any, wherever you want in the country, and uh, I ended up going to Brown University where my brother went, wow. and he was like, you need to study computer science, like that's where things you, are. You told you that? Yeah, so he yeah. went to Brown and studied comp sci. Yeah. He ended up uh, coming back home when I was 12 years old to help take care of the family because my dad had some health issues. He started a nonprofit in Curtis Park, which I guess is now 
Rhino. Oh, <laughs> I'm still, yeah. I'm still River North. Yeah. I'm still learning the new the new terms yeah, for, the for, names. for for neighborhoods that used to be Five Points and, yeah. and whatnot. Uh, but he worked in a, a community center teaching inner city kids and and the elderly computers. Hmm. Uh, he came up to me one day and he said, "Hey, what do you know about computers?" And I said, "Nothing." And he's like, "Good, you're going to be my guinea pig hmm. for my lesson plan." So I had to learn, you know, how to does you web design. I had to learn. You know, SCSI. That was you know, and yeah. Terminators, and how to you know build, build you know computers back when right. you know you actually built computers. Uh, and I mean, then no such thing as plug and play. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> ISA cards. Remember yeah. those? Yeah. Like you know things like you know memories that you know didn't work and trying yeah. to swap out all that fun stuff. But uh, as a result, he ended up you know uh, getting me into IT, getting me into comp sci interest early, and then I went off to college and. Uh, did that while also working at the help desk. Ended up managing the help desk while I was at, at Brown, and uh, got my first job at Goldman Sachs as a IT um, server um, engineer. So, so you went to Goldman Sachs, pretty much the uh, the pinnacle of uh, you know capital. In, in, in this Asia, is true. Right? Like, yes. Pretty much. Uh, so, what year did you go there? Uh, Two thousand four. Two thousand four. So you're a few years before things got bad, right? <laughs> uh, Gold, Goldman's a, an interesting culture. Goldman is cutthroat. It's sharky. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone that's in Goldman would deny that. Um, I'm definitely someone that's more public sector, someone that's more um, helping people that can't help themselves because uh, I had those opportunities presented or uh, afforded to me. And so uh, Goldman wasn't a fit for hmm. me. And so I ended up working at the Cancer Research Institute as their IT manager. So how and, long did you make it at Goldman? Uh, about a year. Okay. <laughs> uh, I went to Cancer Research Institute. I was their IT manager there. We were working through a, a big migration from Novell to Microsoft. Remember yeah, Novell? Sure. Net, oh, God. All these old take, technologies. I feel old, <laughs> like a dinosaur. Getting rid of all the netware. And, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, and transferring everything over. And, and that was fun, um, you know, being, being part of that. And then uh, after doing that for about a year, I got convinced by a friend who was starting a trucking logistics firm out in central New Jersey. And he's like, hey, you know, I'd like you to build up our infrastructure and be our you know, VP of tech and just sort of build everything out for us. And so I went out to kind of work on this like, startup and, and did that for, for a couple years until uh, I ended up at Cardinal Health. Cardinal Health is a big pharmaceutical company. Most people haven't heard of them. but the pills that they take are probably mm. produced by Cardinal Health, and they're a Fortune 50 company, so mm. they're a very large company. Uh, but I ran uh, IT, I was IT director for one of their uh, divisions uh, up until when the FBI started knocking, <laughs> and then that changed the course of, of time. So what do you mean when you say the FBI started knocking? What does that mean? So one day I got a phone call, and it's like, hi, this is the, you know, blah, blah, blah from the FBI. We I'd like you to come in and uh, take our phase one test. And I'm like, uh, no. Why, why did they call you? How did they know you? And Well, it's the FBI. They know everything, right? Um, no, I think uh, at the time what I didn't realize is that there was a need for cyber agents. Mm -hmm. Because actually there were, we really even have a terminology at that point as a cyber agent. Um, uh, there was a need, and so they were recruiting. So I think, um, you know, being in the area, I've, I think I probably at some point even submitted an application to some government job, mm. you know, that sits in OPM somewhere and yeah. they, they pulled that information and they made a phone call. Um, they called, asked me to take a test. I said, no, I'm, 
actually happy in my current job. I, you know, especially at Cardinal Health, I had a uh, uh, development team, I had engineers, I had help desk. You know, it was, it, was, it was kind of a good overall position, and it was not it was close to home. And they're like, no, no, seriously, we're the FBI. And I'm like, no, no, seriously, I, I don't want to, I don't want the job. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, really, just come take the phase one test. And I'm like, okay, like, might as well. You know, I've never got a call like this yeah. before. So I go to the Newark uh, FBI headquarters uh, office, and I sit down in a room, and I, I take a, a test, and it was a logic reasoning test. And essentially, it was a day in the life of an FBI agent, everything from investigating a crime to collecting evidence to, uh, you know, bringing it to prosecution. And it was just a series of questions through the test. And I remember taking that test, and I'm like, man, if being an FBI agent is as fun as it seems like in this test, i got to see where this goes. Huh. Uh, so then I was like, all right, let me uh, keep, keep going. So I, I took the, the phase two test, which was a, another test in an interview, and I, uh, I apparently passed that. And they picked me to, to do the physical fitness test, and I failed. And I failed miserably <laughs> because I'm a computer engineer <laughs> and I have what, soft hands. Would you talk about what the, uh, we actually interviewed a different FBI agent recently on the show, but tell me about your experience with the physical fitness test. What was that like? Um, what did you do? So the physical fitness test is um, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, sprinting 300 meters, and then running a mile and a half. Yeah. And you do it all in succession with a five-minute break. Okay. And, you know, it's just something that, you know, you have to either already be in shape to do that, and, and half of FBI agents are former military or law enforcement already. Yeah. So they're already used to this, they're already used to a physical fitness test that happens all the time, or they're already in shape. And then the other half are people like me. And so I just wasn't ready. So I, I could do the push-ups, and I could do the sit-ups. And the sprint, I was okay. The mile and a half, though, I had an, it was abysmal. And so I, I failed. Um, I actually puked as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so they give you 30 days to kind of, you know, get back, get into yeah. shape. And so I just sort of like, you know, every day just hit it. And uh, muscle memory just kept taking the test every week, weekend to, you know, be ready for it. And then I took the test and I passed. Uh, and then they put you to the background investigation and the polygraph. Yeah. And the polygraph is probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. I mean, it's... Awful. <laughs> so, I, I understanding that maybe you don't want to give a specific thing that you were uncomfortable with. Can you give a, a general thing that makes it so <laughs> so terrible? So, okay, like what? Having put people on the polygraph, yeah. you know, from a, a agent perspective, uh, and it's kind of fun when you're on the other end of the of the mirror and you're able to sort of see people squirm or get uncomfortable over variety of different things, but they're usually criminals or subjects or sources. They're not, you know, trying to get a job. And so um, at the end of the day, the FBI cares about hiring somebody that doesn't have a criminal background of significance, recognizing that, you know, if you break a traffic law or something yeah. like that, um, not hiring someone that has connections to people in the underworld, uh, you're not a spy and you're not a terrorist or connected to that. So those are the main questions that you're asked. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other questions that they ask because we're going to ask you those questions and, and really try to hammer and needle you and put pressure on you to put you in a corner so you crack, mm. and then you'll answer the rest of our questions truthfully. So mm. it's a very long, drawn-out process. My polygraph was three and a half hours long. Oh, my goodness. And some of the questions that they ask, um, uh, they, they have no bearing on, there's no, there's no right or wrong answer because right. you will be lying regardless. Hmm. Um, have you ever told a secret that someone trusted you to keep? Okay. Yeah. Have you ever told and a secret? Of course the answer is yes, right? Right, because right. if you say no, you're lying. Right. And if you say yes, 
Now you're telling you're, you're secrets. Right, no, now you're telling secrets. We can't trust you with secrets. Right, so right. Uh, my answer was yes. And she's like, yeah. oh, so you're telling secrets now. We're going to trust you with secrets. Like, what secrets are you telling? I'm like, I don't know. I'm you know, not, like, not going to tell you. you. Know, <laughs> when, I, when I talk to my mother or I talk to you know, my girlfriend, like, and I, she's like, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm telling someone trusted you with a secret that they didn't want anyone else to know, but you had to tell someone. What was the secret that you had to tell? And it was just like you get that stress yeah. level that's going on. You're just like, uh, he's not, he's not gonna he's not, give up until up I give him something. Yeah. Or you know, there was others <clears> like, <throat> uh, have you ever cheated in an academic setting? Mm. And it's like, that's a very generic word, right? right? Cheating. cheating yeah. is, did you cheat? Did someone cheat off of you? What's right. that? To, so I remember I said no. And then as I was going through it, because he asked you questions several times, right. several iterations of it, three and a half hours worth. So at one point I'm like, I think there's something there. Like in middle school, like I think someone cheated <laughs> on me or I don't know, but there's something there. So I changed my answer and he got mad and he slammed the clipboard down. He's like, you're changing answers now. What's the problem? I'm like, ah, I, I, just something <laughs> popped in my head. He was like, well, just tell me what it was. I'm like, ah, I don't know what it is. I just think that something, he's like, just tell me, you know what it is. I'm like, I really don't know. And he's like, just tell me. I'm like, like He's like, okay, okay. When you came here this morning, did you rob a bank? I'm like, no. He's like, well, how do you know you didn't rob a bank? Because I remember. He's like, well, if you can remember not robbing a bank, <laughs> how can you can't remember what you, what you, the aspect of the cheating that you're thinking of? And I'm like, I just don't know. He's like, all right, all right. When do you think this happened? I'm like, I don't know, somewhere in middle school. And he's like, all right, I'm going to change the question. Since the age of 16, no, 18. Uh, did you cheat in academic setting? I was like, no. He's like, all right, good. I'm like, <laughs> so this kept going and going and going. So then finally I was like, I, I don't like this guy. So I'm like, I'm just going to mess with him. So every time he asked me a truth question, so there's, there's truth questions, which will give you a baseline of what the truth is like, and then there's yeah. lie questions, um, uh, uh, control questions. So my truth questions are, your name is Andre McGregor. You, you were born in 1982 and you went to Brown University. Yeah. You should know those. There should never be any fluctuations in, in, yeah. in your biorhythms. So as he would ask me these questions, I'd think of the craziest things in my head and just throw yeah. my whole body off. And he detected it. <laughs> he was like, uh, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just tired. He's like, do you want this job or not? Stay with me. Stay with me. And I'm like, all right. So then like my stomach's grumbling because I'm hungry because I've right. been here now for four hours and I had another four hours earlier and it's just it's now like 4 p.m. I got here at 7.30 a.m. and I'm like my stomach's grumbling he can feel it because there's a, a yeah. diaphragm strap and he's like what's wrong and I'm like um, my stomach's grumbling he's like why is it grumbling I'm like well I think I'm, I'm hungry he's like why were you hungry did you not eat were you running late and I'm like no, I'm eating smaller meals. I, I have a nutritionist to kind of help me get going. He's like, why do you have a nutritionist? Is it something you're keeping off the health questionnaire? I'm like, why is everything a question with you? I just yeah, am just tired. <laughs> <laughs> so then the test is over. He goes out of the room. He comes in. He's like, well, I think you passed. I think there's something you're hiding in your drinking history, though. I don't even know. What, you didn't <laughs> ask me any questions, but whatever. And he's like, I brought you a muffin. And he brought me this chocolate chip muffin with like the crumble on top. Yeah. And he's like, here, he said you were hungry. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I, I can't. Trying like, I'm, healthy, new, right? I'm trying to be healthy. My nutritionist, he's like, don't worry, I won't tell. And I'm like, is the, is the test still going on? I don't like this at all. That was, my, I, that was like the like jarring experience where I'm like, I don't think I got this job. I don't know what's going on. Six months later, I'm in Quantico. <laughs> so there you go, I guess.
Wow. So what year did you start with the Bureau? What year was that? Uh, so April 09. 09? Yeah. Um, and, and so what do you do for them? I mean, obviously all kinds of stuff, right? Because you're not, no one's just a cyber agent, right? You, you're a full agent who does right. everything, right? Yeah, and, and, and New York is New York. So as much as uh, New York is a hard place to work, it's very expensive, a lot of traffic. Um, you know, it's just the, the, the speed of New York is very, very fast. Mm -hmm. um, it's also one of the best places to work as an agent because while it's not a good thing to say, it's some of the best criminal terrorist work that you'll ever get because everyone's trying to take New York City down in some capacity at mm -hmm. some point in time. And so when I first got to New York, um, every new agent ends up working terrorism in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And so my, my first investigation that I supported as a new agent uh, before I, you know, it was a major investigation was, um, I don't know if you remember Najib Bulazazi. He was the the subway bomber oh, from sure. Denver. Mm -hmm. Drove cross country, mm -hmm. uh, so got to work that investigation, which was uh, you know cool in the sense of being in the middle of a very high profile, very you know scary, nervy, uh, unnerving situation. Yeah. Um, you know, worked surveillance, and you know my team was involved with uh, the Times Square bomber. If you remember the car in Times yep. Square, yep. so. So uh, working that investigation was pretty cool as well. Uh, Italian organized crime, so like the Gambino, Lucchese, Bonanno crime family, so being able to affect arrests and, and arrest of the hitman after a high-speed chase through, through the streets of New York City. And, wow. Oh yeah, it was, it was, I, it was movie quality yeah. high-speed chase. And, and because we're the Bureau, we don't have marked cars and we're a surveillance team, even though we're surveillance with enforcement now because we're about to arrest this guy. Um, we've got a minivan, you've got a pickup truck, you've got like all these different cars that like are lights and sirens, like, you know, you know, souped up engines. I was just always wondering like, what are people What's thinking like right now? Yeah. Like, what is going on? Like every possible diversity <laughs> of car with like full on red and blue light packages yeah. going on and sirens and you're just like... People must be like, I don't know what's, but, or they're New Yorkers yeah. where yeah. they're just like, whatever. I always remember I, my first arrest was um, for, um, there was a NASDAQ got hacked um, yeah. back in 2010. And one of the individuals we found was in Sacramento. And admittingly, we were trying to arrest him before Secret Service found out because there's always a, a race between FBI and Secret Service when it comes to cybercrime. And so I flew out to Sacramento. You know, he had apparently got arrested for auto theft because he was driving on a stolen car and it, he had no legitimate reason for that. So he was already in Sacramento County Jail. So I was like, all right, just go pick him up and bring him back. So SAC, SAC Jail gave me some belly chains and, uh, you know, I got rid of habeas corpus so that he was mine. Boarded a plane on, you know, United with, with my prisoner. Um, in the middle of a normal plane. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which is funny because well, we, we actually, they actually have jackets that, like, hide the belly chain but you still hear the chains rattling as in he's obviously got chains on his legs too uh the the airline does make you take off the the ones around your ankles yeah. while you're flying obvious reasons for evacuation uh faa requires planes to be able to evacuate within 90 seconds because mm -hmm. it doesn't help when you have legs that are chained but we sit in the way back of the plane and my my guy had to go to the bathroom so i took him to the bathroom i un, 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 unshackled him and I remember uh, the guy that was in the bathroom, he comes out, he sees me taking off the handcuffs, he's like, oh, he like jumps this like, passenger and just like runs up there. I'm like, well, at least he's got a good story to tell whoever <laughs> he's sitting next to <laughs> what's going on. But I always remember like, I, I had him, I, I, I was interviewing him at the FBI office in New York, the district courts across the street. And I mean, it's 
literally like two blocks away or distance wise. And I just was like, I'll just walk him across to go meet with the attorney. He's a full orange, like, you know, jumpsuit orange. And I'm walking across the street with him handcuffed and not a New York, not one New Yorker batted an eye <laughs> at all that like you're just walking a prisoner that's handcuffed like two yeah. blocks down New York City street because it's just New York. Like New York. I got other stuff to deal with. Do- does it concern me? Not yeah. a relative of mine, not a friend. Go ahead. So, wow. but um, that was the first like you know year year and change. And then um, what happened was uh, the FBI New York office said they wanted to open a, or start a squad that dealt with investigating cybercrime from nation states. Okay. So up until this point, most of uh, the cyber criminal work that the FBI worked was digital media, intellectual property theft, and child pornography, um, both of which are not considered cyber crime in, in mm. much capacity anymore. Um, I guess it depends on the vehicle in which, it's, in which that uh, data is sort of extracted and, and, and whatnot, but for the most part, intrusions are not that. Uh, so no one was really working China or Russia at the time. Yeah. So they pulled a bunch of us from our various squads that we were on that we were not working cyber, put us together, and said, go forth and conquer and, mm. and do good things. So we were working China before people talked about China hacking uh, publicly. We worked you know, Russia. And then 2011, 2000, uh, 2012, Iran came in the picture. Hmm. Uh, if we remember the DDoSing of the banks, yep. uh, that the, my squad had that investigation. Uh, Stuxnet, yeah. uh, if, we were, if we remember that, uh, once once it made landfall in, in America, and I will not confirm or deny uh, attribution of the development of this, but uh, it made landfall in Atlanta, and they needed to assign it to a squad to deal with. So our squad in New York had the Stuxnet investigation, mm. which was interesting to, to work from a from a investigative perspective. Um, Iran hacked a water dam, so I had that investigation as well. And then, um, you know, working critical infrastructure and, and some of the other attacks that are going on. So it was a pretty solid, yeah. you know, five, six years of just dealing with, you know, some solid intrusions from nation states. So, you know, the 2014, 2015 timeframe you ended up moving on? Uh, June 15. June 15. So, so why? why? Why were you done in June, June 15? Because, um, I mean, you can, 20 years is retirement normally, right? This is true. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting because everyone kind of looked at it from a looks at it from a very binary perspective because yeah. they're like you know you have a great job in government and you get a pension after 20 years and then you can go do other things after that uh, for me I said well a I can't leave before I'm 50 and I came in when I was 26 so it's more than 20 years it's 24 years before I could actually retire uh, but really like I want to do something meaningful and not saying that I'm not doing it at all as an FBI agent because I have and I can point to some you know awesome uh, accomplishments that, that have you know reverberated through the, the community but I still wanted to be I, I wanted to have a, a sort of a bigger impact beyond just being a single agent and um, so I was torn and so I I sought advice and that advice was through FBI director Comey hmm. and I, I reached out to him I sort of took a shot in the dark and I was just like I did sort of this like um, you know, novella of my life, <laughs> of and to sort of you know send in an email and didn't know if I'd ever hear back because you know it's the FBI you director. You didn't know him at that point. I did not know him at that point. Yeah. Um, and I'm 15 levels <laughs> below him, right. uh, so there is also the potential of just getting in trouble yeah. because we are a paramilitary organization. Your your supervisor is who you talk to. You don't talk above that. 
Um, and even though I was a supervisor at the time, my ASAC, the special agent in charge, is the person I talked to. Uh, but I took that shot. And he got back to me, and he emailed back, and he was just like, hey, like we should talk and try to figure this out. And so we started talking, emails back and forth, text messages, right, different wow. things. I mean, like over the course of, of a solid month, he was trying to understand who I was, what I wanted out of life, what I wanted out of the FBI, what were my thoughts on how we do things well or not well, and where do I see myself in advancing that. Hmm. And so after about a, a month of conversation, we sat down for lunch, and uh, I mean, he really, I mean, the guy's got a countless number of things that he's dealing with every single day, and yeah. the fact that he decided to spend that much time with me, I still thank him to this day. Um, he said, hey, I think you should leave. Hmm. Um, I just think, you know, for what you want at the speed that you want it, you can't really get it here because we're a seniority-based organization, and it's gonna take you many years to get to the mm -hmm. point where you can have that impact, and you want that impact now, and by the time you those years are in, the problem you're trying to solve will be solved, potentially. Right. Right. And, uh, and that was my thing, is I wanted to be on the cutting edge of solving the problem than sort of being reactive. And, and as much as the FBI does great work, and continues to do great work um, in the space of cybercrime and nation state attacks, it's very reactive. We have no real stake in sort of the development of better technologies or better best practices. We always kind of dump that onto, you, onto um, DHS, US CERT, ICS mm. CERT to say, hey, my job is just to investigate the crime, collect evidence, and arrest the bad guy. I can't help you on how to fix your problem or right. give you advice on, on what you should be doing, even though I know the answer. I, I can't, that's not my mission, mm -hmm. that's not my job. I wanted to be on that other side. Yeah. Um, so I thought Tanium was a, a good fit there. Um, so did you, did you leave the FBI to go directly to Tanium? Yes. Okay, Yeah. so, you, so that was June of 15, you said, right? June of 15, so yeah. what ended so up happening, okay. yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I remember the first couple months, like I, I, we call it Phantom Glock, where like you, you're used to having your gun yeah. all the time. Yeah. I, mean, I carried my gun more than I carried my wallet and my keys. Like it was on me all the time with the exception of cutting the lawn and actively working out in the gym. Mm. Um, that was just a part of who I was, so to not have that felt very like weird. Mm. Two and a half years later, I'm glad I don't have it. <laughs> like yeah. the, the liability associated, having, you know, I've broken up fights where or been in, I had to arrest a guy on the side of the turnpike, you know, once. And it's just like stuff like that where it's like, uh, you know, like I now can be a regular citizen again. Yeah. <laughs> I will still intervene and help where I can, but I don't have to, you know, think about deadly force, which, yeah. is, which is very calming and very relaxing at this point. But, um, you know, I saw a... a a demo of Tanium, and my um, my friend Dave Damato basically said, "Hey, you should you know look at this product and tell me what you think. And if you're interested, we should have more conversation. If not, then don't worry about it." Yeah. So me and my partner <clears throat> Jason Troopy, um, we both sit down. He's in D.C. I'm in New York. We both log into a WebEx. In, in, you know, in FBI offices, and we see this Tanium demo by a guy named Egan, who uh, now runs our technical account management team. And he goes through Tanium, and we're looking through the product, and we're going through the demo. We ask some questions, um, and it's like, at the end, I, you know, I call Jason on the phone. I'm like, Jason, uh, I'm like, what do you think? He's like, 
I think we should go to, to uh, Atanium. Mm. And he was also thinking about leaving, and we sort of made this sort of decision that we would do kind of a Thelma and Louise. Yeah. If one's going to go, the other's going to go, so at least like we could both feel like there's someone else that understands yeah. the struggle of, of, of you know giving up a you know a profile. You know, like the FBI, you're you're an FBI agent first, and then you're your 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 other life. Mm. Like you're not. Right. There's there's no. Um, two lives. There's mm. no dual life. It's you're an FBI agent, yeah. and then oh hey, you may also you know sing in a church choir. <laughs> you right. know, no one sees you as the person that is you know the coach of your son's team. Yeah. They see you as the FBI agent who's also coaching your son's yeah. you know soccer team. You. So um, you know, we decided to you know when we saw sort of how the team technology worked, we we're like, man, all the investigations that we had worked, if the companies had this technology, we would have had answers faster. Yeah. You know, when we're looking for indicators of compromise, when we're looking for, um, you know, machine, uh, you know, assets that, you know, they can't find, you know, we're able, you know, this would be able to help discover that, um, to do instant response better. Uh, if we could be at the cutting edge of helping to develop that, what better way? Yeah. Um, so I took that to Comey, Director Comey, and he was like, I couldn't see a better place for you mm -hmm. to go mission-wise to still be able to accomplish what you want to do while staying true to what you've been doing at the FBI. So. Wow. That's really, really cool that he spent time talking to you about that. Yeah. So what did you join Tanium as? Uh, at, the yeah, at the time, there were uh, two positions <laughs> at Tanium. Either you were sales or TAM. Okay. Technical account Technical manager. Account manager. Um, so I came in as a TAM knowing that that wasn't going to be the case long yeah. term but there's only literally only two slots that mm. that exist how many employees were there uh about like 175 at the time mm. um but Kay. the majority everyone was either a salesperson or a tam hmm. and there was a very small back office and it very very small like two hr specialists and yeah. you know two finance people and things like that and your partner came over too yes so Jason came over as well um, and then uh, we had we basically went two different paths so I went to the security team and build up the security team and build build out the functionality Jason went over to the EDR endpoint detection response team that got built out into a bunch of guys that built our content for the security side of Tanium. So, so Jason, is he like product management for EDR or? or? Um, basically. So, I mean, EDR doesn't, uh, they're not under the TAM structure the same way as the rest of the TAM. So if I were to break up how Tanium works, uh, you have a salesperson that sells Tanium and you have a TAM that will support the installation, mm -hmm. troubleshooting, and implementation of it. And then you have this kind of like dotted line team that is the EDR team that's basically staying um, up to date on current threats, uh, creating content within Tanium to be able to look for um, you know, different types of attacks, uh, different ways, uh, different signals that we would be detecting, um, being able to support engagements when there's an instant response, even though we're not a services company, um, we'll, we'll never be a services company. Some of our customers will have an incident and then they'll need help so, you know, this team will fly out and help you use Tanium properly to, hmm. you know, collect your, you know, forensic artifacts or, or do your remediation so you don't 
blow up your system or you do it at a, a, a quick enough pace. So would it, would it be fair to call it like a, a tier four technical support specific yeah. specific to that product? Yeah, that sounds okay. Like, yeah, sounds Reasonable. about right. Okay. Yeah, it would, I've never thought of it that way, but that makes sense because they're not they're not product management, so they're not actually sort of developing the. They're not telling the developers what to do. Yeah. But, um, but, they but are. they're giving feedback. They're giving feedback, yeah, yeah. and and I mean, our our, <laughs> our technology is used by US CERT and by you know some other agencies that you that do assessments and response. And then what's great is they'll come back and they'll say, hey, you know, it would be great if you had the ability right. to search for this. You know, we can't tell you because it was classified, and so now we're able to provide you know, like I said, cutting edge um, capabilities in Tanium to our customers without them needing a you know, threat intelligence feed coming in for, you know, old brittle IOCs that, you know, may be useful to them, you know, a month ago. Right. Or to the, or has no effect on them whatsoever. So uh, when you went to Tanium, where did you work? Were you, did you work at, from New York or did you move to San Francisco? Oh, I worked from New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, so from, Tanium, from home or is it Tanium is 75% remote office. Okay. And so most people don't work in a Tanium office, which makes it great for securing Tanium because, um, you know, if everyone worked from uh, an office and a desktop and egress points were all things that, you know, were within my control, then, you know, my, my life would be a lot easier. A but when yeah. most people are working out of hotels or working from home and yeah. uh, working from laptops and um, I can't really control access to that laptop, you know, it does make things a little bit different, or a little, a little bit difficult. Uh, but I worked out in New York, I did that for a couple of years until March when I decided it was time to come home. Nice. Uh, so I packed everything up in a U-Haul and then surreptitiously left New Jersey. Because <laughs> I said, if I, if I tell everyone I'm leaving, they're going to stop me. <laughs> so I'm going to leave and yeah. then come back and tell everyone that I, I left. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to convince me that I should never leave, yeah. um, which is true. They were trying to convince me not to leave, but it was nice because um, I'm a volunteer fireman in my town in East Brunswick. Uh, I've been there for 12 years, a volunteer, and just today or yesterday, they made me an honorary member for, for life, oh, so, wow. Very um, cool. which is really cool. So uh, I used to love driving the fire truck, 40,000 pounds of truck, just yeah. you know, going to a fire, going to a car accident, and uh, being able to, to do that, and that sort of one of the reasons I went to the FBI was that sort of emergency service as well yeah. that was there. So a couple more threads I want to pull on here. Uh, we haven't talked about the NCC yet, the National Cybersecurity Center. I know you've uh, you've been involved there. Maybe you could just start from the beginning. How did you get involved, or what are you doing there? And let's talk yeah. about that group. Uh, I I tend I, I tell people I'm a, a very transparent, candid person for good or bad. Um, but at least you know where I stand. I'm very good at sugarcoating things. I'm not a mean person um, in any way. I think I'm a very likable person. Um, but in, in the case of uh, the NCC, uh, Governor Hickenlooper had a um, uh, delegation that he sent out with himself to Silicon Valley, and they met with a dozen companies in, in the Valley, one of which was Tanium. And so when um, the governor's coming to Tanium, they're like, oh, hey, the governor's coming. You should... Uh, you know, sit in on the meeting and, and you know, do a demo of Tanium and Orion, our, our you know, co-founder will be there too, and a variety of people. So the full delegation's there, we have some people from, from Tanium, we're talking through, through issues. Long story short, they're only supposed to be there for 45, I think 30 or 45 minutes, they're there for two hours. Mm. 
like they we were just talking and we were just being very blunt and honest about you know the way the system the way society is the way systems are the problems that we're seeing and you know I guess it was uh, just a fascinating conversation that they decided to kind of push off the rest of their 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 next event to to stay with us and then at the end um, they mentioned the NCC and sort of what they're trying to do with the NCC which is to be a conduit of of information and capabilities for uh, local state government, as well as you know, small, medium-sized businesses uh, in Colorado, um, uh, really from an effort that the governor, governor saw when he went to Israel. So at the end, they're like, you know, what, you know, what do you think of the NCC? Was my question the question that they asked me, and my response was, I think it's going to fail. <laughs> and they're like, what? And I'm like, well, honestly, I mean, you're you're new. You, it doesn't sound like you have anyone really that's on the NCC that is operational, that understands you know, the technology and understand really the day-to-day -day of what's going on. And you're going to get, and you've got money, and you're going to get the sharks that are going to come out and say, that, you know, the big companies that are out there um, that do con contracting work that say, hey, we'll throw out a big ticket you know, price tag to you and we'll provide this and then at the end of this, they're not really going to provide it and you feel like you didn't get any services and they won and you lost. Like That's right. what's going to happen. And then your second version of this is going to be much better. <laughs> um, that was my response to the governor. <laughs> so then he was like, um, do you want to be a board member? <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe. I don't know. He's like, well, we'd really like to have you as a board member. And I'm like, oh, all right. So then I've been being a board member and um, we've had, you know, many board meetings where we've we've now sort of moved the ball forward than than where it was before. Uh, I think um, there was sort of a identity crisis within mm -hmm. the NCC of what it wanted to be everything to everyone, yeah. which really meant it was not really being much of anything to anyone. And so once we sort of streamlined the focus of capabilities of what the center should do, who it should focus on and um, the capabilities it should provide. Uh, Vance Brown, who's the new CEO right now, is, is fantastic from an energy perspective. He's uh, you know, started a startup before, so he understands sort of that you know, footwork that needs to be done at the ground level to get things going. And um, you know, we have some solid uh, interest from you know, local partners, um, military, uh, other governors as well. And so the idea is if we can create this as a center that can be mimicked by other states of similar size and stature, then it works out well. Because I think Colorado is a state that can actually relate very well to not only an Idaho, but also a California. Mm. Um, you know, whereas some other states, you know, it, it's very hard to see that. You know, you can't really say, you know, what California government is doing, you know, Idaho could do mm. because it's California and California is very big, even right. though you could break it out and say that you know, it has as much agriculture, if not right. more, than, than Idaho. But Colorado's just such a uh, blended, mm -hmm. you know, world that I think everyone lives in because you've got what's happening in the Denver metro area, but then you've got the digital divide that's happening, you know, down in, you know, Pueblo, right? right. Or, um, you know, some of the other smaller communities. So having to balance both of those um, really kind of shows Colorado as being that like middle ground yeah. for most of the states. So we met with the CEO and COO previously, and they both turned over since we had them on the show. Um, and they, you know, he had articulated a vision for the things that NCC was going to go after. Could you articulate what it's going to be? Like, you know, there was the 
incident response assistance, there was some training. What is, what's the vision look like now? What's the 2018 version of NCC? So the, the 2018 version, we, we dropped incident response okay. uh, for a variety of reasons. Not only are we behind the curve on being able to have the skill set to do it, there's also a liability factor that goes into, into it as well. Um, the, the, the primary focus right now is going to be training, work, workforce development, and, and research, and supporting research engagement. So if you think about it, uh, we all can agree that there's a workforce development need. Mm -hmm. uh, you have uh, people like uh, Alex at uh, SecureSet that's you know, supporting, um, you know, educating new people into the cybersecurity space in Colorado. Um, you've got uh, universities that are also trying to do the same, but there's not really a place where we can sort of bring people together to, you know, I don't want to say like recruiting, it's, not, it's, not, it's more than that. Really sort of a, a way that you can um, synergize what big companies are looking for to what's specific to how Colorado works and really sort of develop a pipeline through mm -hmm. all these different channels that are not sort of disparate. So yes, SecureSet can still do what they want to do, and yes, um, you know the universities can still do what they want to do. But if we can pull that all together into one, you know, bigger picture, it's sort of like when you look at uh, consortiums, you know, pulled together and bringing everyone in just makes you stronger because now you're able to share resources, share money, share share people, and it works out. So that's the workforce development side. On the training side, um, you know, we're Woefully need, we woefully need to have better training for small, medium-sized businesses and local state officials. Hmm. I think for the most part, and I'm being a little flippant by saying this, um, there's a lot of people that don't respect the cyber threat. Hmm. And it's not, I, I don't think it's because they are arrogant. I think they just don't know. They don't understand it. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's up to us to sort of do two things. Either I make better technology that makes it easier for you to not have to think about the complexities of cybersecurity because it is very, very complex, and, uh, or I do better at teaching. Yeah. And the problem that we have right now is that when you look at, somewhat, you look at a place like um, the city of Aurora, for example, I met with their, um, what would be their sort of equivalent of, a, of their uh, InfoSec uh, you know, coordinator. Okay. And you know, he's got a daunting task because he's got to think about all different types of cyber threats. And he's not a cyber guy right? from all different facets, whether it's, you know, the police department or it's a DDoS of a website um, or it's patching and vulnerability issues with another, you know, like there's so many different things that he has to think about. And we forget that in like the cyber world, it's, you know, asking that one individual to do all of that is the equivalent of like, going to a random doctor and saying, I want you to cure cancer. Right, I'll do all of the things. Do, or, you know, yeah. cure health. Cure, yeah, yeah, cure cancer and also do the surgery and also right. Right. Yeah, like that's, fix my bunions on my foot. Or right, whatever, right. That, that, you, you, you can't expect that, nor yeah. should you. Right. And unfortunately, we've put these people in positions to fail yeah. because of our lack of understanding and, and quite frankly, respect for the threat. Um, we think that the IT guy in many of these cases, because they're smaller places, is also someone that can understand the security nuances of the technologies that they have to deploy and keep available, which mm -hmm. is, well, you know, if they don't keep that technology going, then either they lose a job or they get a lot of complaints. So are they going to care more about the availability side of the confidentiality, integrity, 
um, triad or mm. or are they going to look at the others? Probably the availability side. So, you know, getting people to understand, especially <coughs> in government, because how else are we going to get the funding? How else are we going to get the um, changes in technology that we need? Um, the fact that we, you know, one of the reasons I, I, I enjoy being at Tanium is just because we solve issues of, that we see all the time with just multi-tenant federated environments where it's like, all right, you've got 40 different agencies and you've got five different patch solutions. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not saying you need to use Tanium. I'm just saying you need to use one. Right. <laughs> like, because now I've got five different types of people with different skill sets that don't talk to each other. Yeah. And so when bad stuff happens, all of a sudden now I can't use those people because I can really only use those two people because they're the SECM people. The other Alteris or, you know, Big Fix or whatever people, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, so like that's our problem is we, we need to better the training side of things. Right. And then of course there's the research side, which is, you know, we're at the um, UCCS. Uh, which is the whole UC system, University of Colorado system. So being able to support student research in, in this space yeah. and, and being able to expand that out and have some agreements with international universities um, to, to do peer-to-peer -peer sharing yeah. and, and, and whatnot. So, so I want to keep us moving a little bit, but I want to ask one more question about NCC before we move on. Uh, what is a deliverable that we can expect in 2018 for NCC to start going going to market isn't quite the right term, but you know what I mean. I like start yeah. offering what what do we what could we expect to start seeing this year? So one of the things that we're going to offer is in March we are going to offer an executive level uh, cyber training course mm -hmm. or courses. So you know everyone says the board must be better you know educated or the C suite needs to be better educated. We're going to provide. The training in that capacity, and and I, I kind of got bullied to in, in a corner to support that, and I now by teaching it. <laughs> oh, you're teaching it too. All right. Um, so, uh, but I'm excited to do it. Uh, I just have to come up with a lesson plan, which yeah. is which is mostly done. Um, but really, it's going to be exciting because we we just got we're going to get a bunch of Fortune 1000 board members that yeah. are going to come in from That's around great. the country and take these courses. So, can people time. start sending? Sending their board members to go to do this. If people yeah. who are listening right now who are like, "Oh, I want my board member to get that." Education. Oh yeah, please. Uh, what should know, they do? How should they reach out? Uh, go to the NCC website, yeah. uh, nationalcybersecuritycenter.org, or cyber-center.org, oh. and you'll be able to click on you know buy tickets for this particular cool. event and and go ahead and do that. Um, another thing that we're gonna do is uh, offer more uh, research opportunities in blockchain technologies. So. I've become insanely interested in blockchain recently. Yeah. Like I had no interest in it prior. I mean, I had no interest to it prior to about two months ago. Is that uh, when you bought your Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah. So I never supported Bitcoin because we arrested so many people at the, in the FBI in New York for crimes in and around Bitcoin. Um, you know, a lot of the interesting arrests in 2014 yeah. were my squad or sister squad in New York City. Uh, around Bitcoin, and so um, when I talk to people in that world now, they're very squirrelish because they still see me as an FBI agent, and yeah. it's like, no, no, really, I'm just, you know, interested. But yeah, uh, yeah no, we're going to offer more in terms of helping people to understand and and do more research around blockchain technologies yeah. and and the security that's uh, associated. Uh, all right, I'm going to move us along. There's we only have another ten minutes or so, and I want to. Uh, I want to ask you about you know 
kind of the the skating dog, the, the skateboarding dog, right? Uh, the, the fun stuff. It, um, how did you get involved with Mr. Robot? Ah, yes, Mr. Robot. Hopefully everyone uh, what, what is, likes what Mr. Robot. What is Mr. Robot, by the way? Mr. Robot is probably the best attempt that we're ever going to get to showing cyber cybersecurity and hacking on mainstream television. Yeah. Um, so Sam Esmail, who's the creator of the show, um, who loves technology and, and loves cybersecurity, uh, decided to, to, to develop this show. And if you, you know, I've, everyone's probably watched like CSI Cyber and cringed at like, you know, how is it two people are typing on the keyboard at one time? Like, <laughs> like, uh, they're playing piano together. <laughs> right, I don't, I don't understand that. Or I actually don't understand how little Bow Wow, or I guess he's Bow Wow now because he's older, um, is a FBI source that is a hacker. Like there's so many, and then there's like green code, green code is um, good and red code is malware. Oh, like nice. it was like, I don't know what this I show is about. Um, I, I think I got in trouble with our legal department because like, I did an interview and I mentioned that like CSI Cyber sucks. And they're like, <laughs> you know, we could be sued. Uh, I'm like, well, no, it's what? true. You can't they're sue like, me. right? It's, it's, it's a libel. Like, it's not libel. It's true. Like, it, was, it was good. I would say it was good. Um, but Mr. Robot needed a um, consultant to ask some questions on. At the time, it was just about FBI related things, and so they they. Um, uh, sought out through a friend of mine, um, you know, someone that could answer these FBI questions. He's like, oh yeah, you know, and former FBI agent and put in my way. And I started having these like cryptic phone calls. I never watched the show. And this was now, so season one had happened. Okay. And um, they were obviously working on season two. And so they're asking me these cryptic questions. So if we were to arrest someone and they were, you know, we were at the door. What, what, you know, what, how many people would be at the door? Yeah. Like, would you knock down the door? Like, all these, like, questions about yeah. just procedural things. So I, but they like, wouldn't tell me anything. So I'm like, so I just kept answering the questions. And then finally one day I'm, I'm at home and I get a phone call and it's Sam Esmail, the creator, and he's on speakerphone. He's like, hey, Andre, it's Sam. Uh, I'm with all the writers right now. We're on speakerphone we got to write this scene. So we're just going to ask you point blank a bunch of questions. And he just started asking me questions. And it's just like, and he's like, all right, we're going to send you an NDA at this point because you need to. So I was like, okay. So we start working on that. And then they're like, well, so we want to hack. We're going to do a hack that does X. Or can you help us, you know, understand, you know, what would be involved if we were to try to get into this system or try to get into this, an account. And so it was like, cool, because like, all right, well, you're yeah. trying to get it right, yeah. You, you want to get it right. Like, you're asking, like, very, like, specific questions. It's yeah. not just, like, movie magic and, you know, um, we'll just sort of let people figure out that it just happened. Um, as, as an aficionado of the TV show Hawaii Five-0, um, that show I, is absolutely abysmal when it comes to how all the technology capabilities they have. I watch it and I'm like, man, I wish the FBI had these capabilities, but I know that no one has these capabilities. Yeah. Like, no one will ever have these capabilities, except for maybe, like, London with all the surveillance state that it has. Um, but Sam was very, very much about getting things very accurate, and so we started working through some of the hacks for season two, and it was at a certain point where it was just, like, every day that they were trying to, like, get, you know, more detail and design and, um, you know, actually, you know, can you can you get us some code or can you, you know, spit wow. out the output of, of what, you know, that that command would to do and then send it to us in a video and it, it was sent to the art department. It turned to a full-time job. 
So I reached out to our um, chief security architect, Ryan Kazansian, who works at Tanium as well. He came over from Mandiant. And I was like, hey, like, do you like Mr. Robot? He's like, oh, I love the show. I'm like, do you want to like consult too? And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like when doing consultant work, like, do you want to help? He's like, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> I was like, all right. So then the, the two of us ended up, um, you know, working season two yeah. together, uh, working season three together. Obviously, season three is just finished, so hopefully uh, uh, I won't give any spoilers away for anyone who hasn't started yet because uh, I, I find out that a lot of InfoSec people either like, are up on it and watching every episode as it yeah. comes out or they wait to the end. I'm a binge watcher. And the they end. binge watch yeah. the whole thing. It's, it's got it's to all be at once at the end. I don't want to wait for episodes. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's why I've just learned, like, don't even just give anything away because yeah, I've learned that away. people, like, we have a, a Slack channel for Mr. Robot and, like, at one point, like, people are like, you know, something came out and there was an article that was put in there and people are like, oh, spoiler, up, oh, nope, I'm out. And you just saw, like, 15 people leave the chat, but just like left, 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 left. They're like, don't want to know, don't want to know, don't want to know. So um, it's been really cool though because you, you know, you, the accuracy is there. Um, Being able to sort of like dust off your, you know, uh, pen testing chops and and some of the, you know, the the stuff I learned years back, you know, because you're not really using that anymore. You're not, you know, I'm a blue teamer, I'm not a a red teamer, and I'm definitely not a, you know, black hat hacker. Right. Uh, but to be able to put that in a way that makes sense on TV, something that my mother could watch. Yeah. And and what's what's sad? Maybe it's not. It was sad is, I my mother started to watch the show because she's like, oh, my son helps you know uh, consult and write for the show, and uh, so she watches the first episode of season two, which I did a lot of work on, and that was the one with um, ransomware. Okay. And. Afterwards, she's like, all right, I've got three things to, to tell you or ask. Like, one is, it's really dark. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's a kind of a darker show. He's like, no, 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 like the hue. Like, it's just really it's dark on my eyes. Yeah. So, like, yeah, you're 65 years old. <laughs> got it. Okay. Number two is, I finally understand what you do. Wow. Like, well, that's good. That's kind of cool. But bad because I feel like you should know what I do. Yeah. I've arrested people, <laughs> I've done perp walks where you've actually turned on like ABC World News and you saw me. Like, like okay, whatever, I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, and then the third is, um, the dog's name is Maxine. My mother's name is Maxine. Yeah. Did you name the dog after me? <laughs> I'm like, the dog's name is Maxine? So I'm like, I don't know. So I would go back to the script, I'm looking like, oh shit, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't oh, sorry, it wasn't really like, yeah. Not, not on purpose. I didn't name. I didn't even name the dog. But it was yeah, funny that she like funny. picked up on that. But like that was the point of the show is having someone at that level. And it's interesting because we I've talked to so many fans of the show and Infosec, and they're like, man, we wish there was more hacking, which mm. you'll get in season three. Um, but you have to balance that with right. the fact that like you're the Infosec guy that's going to pause the screen and check the code <laughs> and make sure that it actually works. And you know, yeah. and we've had enough people that have told us like oh, there's a missing semicolon or right. an extra space. And so now we QA the code before it even shows up <laughs> on the air. We make changes with um, um, the art department at the end in case we see something because we don't want to deal with Reddit because the Reddit crowd yeah. will, will get you. Um, but you've got to balance that with like the fact that your spouse is sitting next to you yeah. and probably doesn't, doesn't know, know. Yeah. or care about that side. So yeah. you've got to keep the plot line keep it interesting for both sides yeah, yeah. so that's the balance is like yeah. you can't just be all hacking and all um it because then 
we would have a much smaller audience. Yeah. Well, we, we're running short on time. A few more minutes. Um, tips for, for people listening, maybe CISOs that are listening or security professionals. What are they doing wrong right now they need to get better at in their jobs? And everything isn't good enough. <laughs> I know. I was like, geez. Uh, I mean, I could be the one that says, you know, the same thing that everyone says, which is, you know, we should be doing good cyber hygiene. And, and honestly, like, at the end of the day, every one of the ma major hacks that I've been to and worked at at the FBI were all related to either a system you didn't know about or a system that wasn't patched. Hmm. That's it. So two things. There you That's go. That's it. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I now understand the woes. Don't forget about stolen credentials, though. Stolen credentials. Stolen credentials. It's pretty popular. It, it, it's, it's more popular. It's popular now on the criminal side. Okay. Uh, with nation state at the time, it was still mm. just popping machines with, you know, drive-by downloads it, and stuff. I mean, but okay. you're right. Stolen credentials are still, I mean, it, let, let's be honest. Spearfish email comes in. Looks like uh, an email I'm going to click on. I click on it. I go in. I put in credentials because it looks like the same system that I have. Okay. It, it man in the middle of me to uh, the, the system that I'm supposed to go to. I don't know anything's right. wrong. I've just after, you know, got the credentials. Boom. Done. Like right. I, I wrote the story. And 95, I think the Bureau is still saying 95% of its intrusions still happen from a Spearfish email. Hmm. Why? Because it, it's easy. It works. It's easy. It works. It's cheap. And email will always be open. Yeah. Like you will always, there's no way that I'm going to be able to shut that down. Yeah. So you're right. Stolen credentials is there. But at the end of the day, like I still have to pivot. Mm -hmm. I still have to escalate. And there's a lot of things that are involved there that, you know, if I had a better understanding or protection of those key systems in my environment, um, I would limit that exposure. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, at the end of the day, network segmentation obviously is something that everyone should be doing if yeah. we're not doing it now. IAM is something that everyone should be doing. You know, we, we just deployed uh, Cisco ICE at yeah. Tanium, you know, and that's been pretty... For NAC, Network Access Control? Yeah, so that's been pretty fruitful right yeah. now for especially controlling VPN act activity and, yeah. and, and directing certain people to certain areas and, and enclaves. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the major fires that we see still come from just the poor hygiene yeah. stuff and everyone wants the easy button. I get it, I want the easy button. I also, I also can respect how difficult it is to do the easy things. Yeah. Without good technology or good people, you're behind the curve. It's hard. It's, it's simple. It's not easy. It's simple. Yeah, it's, it's it, and it's easy for me to say, like, hey, you should patch all your systems. And it's yeah. like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you it's know. Easy, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Uh, we have one more minute. Any final words before we call it a day? Um... No, I mean I think it's. A, <laughs> I yeah. think this, I been, this is a lot good. of fun. Yeah. We, we do this again. Maybe we can get you back in six months or something. We, there's a lot more stories that we just didn't get into, um, but I try got to keep it to an hour. And of course, I have to run to a meeting here shortly. Yeah, no, uh, not, not a problem. I, I, you know, I and the next time we talk, I can tell you about how we uh, drone strike to terrorist or cyber terrorist hacker. Well, there's uh, there's <laughs> a good cliffhanger. See, season two of the Colorado uh, <laughs> Equal Security, Andre McGregor will will include the drone strike on the terrorists. Yes, All right. it's a very it's a different way of uh, disrupting a, a cyber attack. I will tell you that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Andre. Have a good one. Hey, thanks. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. 
Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.